And welcome back to Kidmin Talk, coming to you from Kidology.org, where our mission is to equip and encourage you in your children's ministry. This is Carl Bastian, also known as the Kidologist, and today I am on the spot because I'm going to be answering questions from listeners that have submitted them in the forum or on our Facebook page or by Twitter or email so that you can uh, just get some answers to some things that are pressing for you. And uh, each one of these topics could be an entire podcast, but I'm going to try to address them briefly and quickly, rapid fire, and give you some uh, great, uh, hopefully some, some suggestions and challenges and ideas to incorporate into your ministry today. Today's podcast is sponsored by my ebook, The Kidology Way, The Four Pillars of Children's Ministry. If you're in leadership in children's ministry, you have got to read this ebook. It's not long. It's about 50 pages, uh, double-spaced. You know, it's, it's great. But it is going to challenge you. It's going to encourage you. You're going to be saying amen because it's going to affirm things you already believe, but it's also going to give you some practical ideas and, and suggestions of ways that you can strengthen your ministry around four pillars that if you focus on those, you will produce disciples of children that are going to last a lifetime. So I encourage you to download that. It's free for members. It's in the e-store. Just go to kidology.org slash four pillars. But right now, it is time for us to dive into our questions, all right? Let me see. I've got several here, and I'm going to kind of just hit these in random order and uh, fire away. The first one is from Robert. Robert writes to me from Mexico. He's a missionary down there. He's also one of our Kidology coaching students. And Robert has just been asked by his senior pastor to create a Saturday morning kids club um, using the... Um, teenagers as helpers and he doesn't have a lot of time to put this together so he's asking what what are some important things that I can do to train these these young people um, to help run this Saturday morning kids club that they're going to be starting and that is a great question first of all I've got to plug the kids church cookbook I believe it's section four the one on the kitchen crew it's all about training young people to serve and it will go into great detail but rapid fire answers here number one you've got to give them ownership don't just ask young people to help You've got to make them part of your team. Don't worry about the fact that they have no idea what they're doing and that they're inexperienced and untrained. They're going to get all of that serving, but give them ownership. Give them important titles. Let them have input into planning this Saturday morning club. So ask them, what do you think the kids would like? What would be fun to do? If you were still a kid, what would you want to do? What would make you come or get you to come to a Saturday morning um, club here at church or wherever you're hosting it. So give them ownership, all right? Create an identity for them, all right? I always called my kids' crew for kids' shirts the KC crew, and we had T-shirts made. Some years we had hats made. But it was all about creating an identity so these teens were recognized by the children as being leaders, as being helpers. And that, that identity that you give them um, really helps them feel important and be excited about it. But then you need to actually give them some responsibility. So number one is ownership. Number two is identity. Number three is responsibilities. You need to actually give them things to do, all right? Standing around saying, well, just kind of help me out as I need it is not going to work. You need to give them actual responsibilities. I always say I won't do anything that a kid can do. So they need to set up. They need to take down. They can lead the worship. They can do tech technical stuff. If you got microphone cords you got to run around or, or PowerPoints that you need to run or overhead projector um lyrics that you need to switch during you know 
define the responsibilities and parcel them out and have them do it. But then when you get into training, you need to train them in some relational skills. Let them know they're not just there to work. They're not just there to make your job easier, although they certainly do that. They are there to minister to kids. They are ministers. And so give them skills of how to greet kids, how to engage in conversation with kids, how to not ask questions that can be answered with uh-huh or yes or no, but open-ended questions. All right, uh, Teach them to look over the kids and look for kids that look lonely, kids that are sitting by themselves, kids that look um, insecure. Because often these teenagers can do a better job than an adult at making new kids feel welcome because the adult can be a little intimidating. They're tall, they're strange, you know. But this this big kid comes over and is friendly and talks to them and introduces them their, to their name and, and uh, can just be wonderful. So get, teach them some relational skills. Of course, you're going to need to cover some safety and security guidelines. That's number five. Um, you you know, the never alone and, and always having two adults in the room or two leaders in the room. And hopefully you've got those things in place in your ministry. And you need to make sure that the teen workers know those guidelines and understand that uh, they are important. And when they find themselves in a situation where for whatever reason, because there's sometimes exceptions, they need to make the leader aware of that exception. So the leader is making the decision that an exception is okay, not the responsibility isn't falling on that teenager. And this is obviously to protect the children, but it's also to protect the, the teenagers because nothing can be worse than a false accusation or uh, the, the appearance of something that's not right. And so you want to make sure your kids know those guidelines. And then I would say just keep training ongoing. That's number six. Keep training kids. Um, I, I, the workshops that I will do at the Children's Pastors Conference and at other conferences on how to do balloons and how to do object lessons and how to do puppets, and I, I train kids in those things. All right, They're never too young to learn those things. I'm in ministry today because when I was a kid and I told my mom, that's what I want to do when I grow up, she said, what's grown up got to do with it? You start now. And so I became a gospel magician and all kinds of things while I was still a teenager. So plan regular training times, whether on a Sunday afternoon with pizza and training or whether they're once a month on a Friday night, however you have to work it out logistically, make training a regular thing. You don't just train and then put them in work and then the, and think the training's done. Because at those regular training times, whether they're weekly or monthly or every other week, whatever you decide, you can ask, how are things going? You can address things that came up and you can address them um, in neutral ways instead of you know making anybody feel bad or you know giving specific examples. You can just talk about, well, suppose this happens, suppose that happens. And you can even have an understanding that even when people, everyone knows what incident you're talking about, we don't mention names because we're all learning from all these things. And then number seven, the last one, is just to make it fun. Make serving fun. If the kids that come to help are also getting to play the games and, and lead in the worship and, and they're laughing and they're having a good time before and after as well as during, um, you're going to have a great program. There's, there's really nothing better than a ministry that's run by young people because they're going to give you insight, they're going to work hard, they're going to have a great time, the kids are going to respond well to them and all around it's going to be a great time. So that would be seven tips uh, for Robert there. Now the next one I've got comes from Joan. And Joan has heard a lot about philosophy of ministry, and she's heard about vision, and she understands that having these things um, figured out and defined can really help a ministry move forward. But she's kind of asking, you know, do, do you just come up with that on your own? Do you have your leadership team do that 
with you? Does that come down from the pastor? And she also asked, you know, what's the difference between this philosophy of ministry thing and and ministry vision? Because you 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 hear about both of these. Are they are they just different words for for the same thing? And and again, I got to point you to a resource. If you go into Kidology's online training, you're going to find a leadership lab that's all about developing a vision for your ministry. And it's going to talk about what that means. It's going to give you tools. It's actually going to give you a PowerPoint you can take a leadership team through. And there's a lot of great tools there. And I'm going to link in the show notes um, of a zone post about philosophy of ministry and a couple other things. So uh, always dive into the show notes after a podcast that you enjoy because you're going to find a lot of links and other resources that I mentioned on the show. But first of all, let me just address philosophy of ministry and then I'm going to tell you why it's different than vision. So philosophy of ministry. What a philosophy of ministry is concisely and succinctly is it's it's uh, your belief system for how and why you do ministry the way that you do it. And a lot of people you know, talk about you need to develop a philosophy of ministry. I'm going to surprise you and say you already have a philosophy of ministry. Everyone who's in ministry already has a philosophy of ministry. Now, they may not have it typed up. They may not have it um, in a nice document. They may not have it on a website. And, and it may be kind of fuzzy. It may be in development. And it may and it, and it can change a little bit or, or be uh, matured. But you have a philosophy of ministry. I mean, when you face different situations, there are some principles that you believe that are guiding everything that you do. That That's why I wrote The Kidology Way, The Four Pillars of Children's Ministry, because it unpacks my philosophy of ministry, the four things that I believe every ministry must have in order to succeed. And if you're missing one of those, you, you're not going to have a stable ministry and you're not going to produce disciples of Jesus. All right, even my motto statement that I always sign above my name, because Jesus loves children, is a part of my philosophy of ministry. That it answers a lot of whys. You know, why do you dress goofy? You know, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Because Jesus loves children. It, it's part of the answer of why I do everything that I do. So number one, you've already got a philosophy of ministry. So what you need to do is you need to start defining it. Um, and, and that can be done by reading other people's and seeing what you agree with, what you disagree with. But you start writing out what you believe about kids. You know, some people's philosophy of ministry is that kids can't get saved because they're not smart enough. Other people's philosophy of ministry is that absolutely they know enough and they can come to Christ as a child just as God tells adults to come to him as a child, all right? You've got a philosophy of ministry, so you need to start defining it. You need to start putting it down in writing. And it's important because it starts to let those that you work with know, this is what I believe. This is what fuels my ministry. This is what um, plays into the decisions I make, what I say yes to and what I say no to. And it's okay to have input into that, but so much that is going to be you. It is going to be personally powered by you. But when it comes to defining it, absolutely, you can bring a leadership team into that process because you're going to want to have something that everybody buys into and that you communicate in a policy manual um, in your leadership training and things like that. So number one, you already have one. You just need to define it. And then number two, you've got to communicate it. Because when you let people know that we're not just about fun, we're about transformed lives. And fun is a way to get the kids here, but then there's got to be meat beneath that. That's part of a philosophy of ministry. When you communicate that, 
it's transforming because a lot of people get that you like fun. They say all oh, this fun stuff. And they go, oh, the kids' ministry is all about fun. No, the philosophy of ministry gives the, the parameters of the fun and the, and the purpose of the fun. All right? So your philosophy of ministry, it really doesn't change much. Now, you may get converted on something. You may change your mind on something, and, and that's okay. But in a sense, it's almost like your doctrine of ministry. I mean, it's not really going to change. My philosophy of ministry over the last two decades has really not changed. Every ministry that I served in had a different vision. It had different programs. It had different ministries. But the pillars, as I call them, the undergirding of my ministry was the same in each of them because that philosophy of ministry is what, what guides me. So how is it different than vision then? All right, Dive into that leadership lab. But vision, uh, in a nutshell, is what will the ministry look like when I'm done? All right, it's a vision. It's something you see. All right, when you start a new ministry, all right, what you what you see when you get there is probably not the way you want things to always be. I mean, there's there's things you would like to see. You'd like to see partnering with parents. You'd like to see uh, more uh, attractive facilities. You you'd like to see kids, you know, being discipled. You'd like to see a, a better curriculum. You know, and so you define that that vision and and I'm resisting the urge to give out vision statements because then people tend to just copy them down and make them their vision. The vision needs to come from you and from your team and you define that vision. But what happens is you will arrive there. You you will reach a point where by employing what you believe in that philosophy of ministry, that vision comes to be. Right? You you create the new ministries, you've redone the facilities, and it's time for a fresh vision. So vision changes, and vision is defined by the needs of the church and the needs of the community and the needs of the kids. And so um, it, it's going to vary. So those are the main differences. Philosophy of ministry is, is of what guides your decisions, what you believe about children and how they should be reached and how you're going to go about doing everything you do. The vision has a timetable on it. Like, what is your vision for the next two years? What would you like to see happen? And it can be constantly being refined. So hopefully that is helpful to you, uh, Joan. Steve, uh, way up there in Canada, um, he wrote to me. He's been doing some camp speaking and um, would like to know how he can improve as a camp speaker. And, of course, there's lots of ways we can always improve in our teaching techniques and the skills that we employ, whether we use gospel illusions, whether we use balloons, whether we use puppetry, or whether we use music. There's a lot of ways you can improve yourself as a speaker. So I'll just throw you out a couple of things here, Steve. Number one, I would say um, one of the things that I think works great in a camp setting, uh, if you're speaking in chapel, is you've got to have, obviously, that fun element. you got to get the kids excited and, and get them pumped so that when... And you get to that point where you bring it down and you get serious and you're and you're preaching the word of God and you've got your Bible open and, you, and you're kind of talking about practical life application. You, you've kind of won them over. You've kind of earned that that audience time. And uh, so I I believe big time in thematic games that have a point. And uh, and I do stuff that's totally weird, totally different. I mean, last year I I was at a store. They had these little flying chickens with elastic um, necks, and you'd pull their feet, and they'd fly, and then they made chicken noises. And I bought everyone in the store. They were on sale for three bucks. I think online they were like ten dollars each. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna buy them all. And I bought like thirty or forty of these. And every game in chapel I did was with these flying chickens. But every single one of them was an object lesson that fit with my lesson. Okay, um, I think on my blog. 
yes, there is a blog post called The Gospel According to Flying Chickens. And um, I'll link to that in the show notes. And um, I asked people to help me come up with object lessons and gospel illustrations with these flying chickens. This year, what I did is I did Angry Birds. It's a big fad. Everyone's crazy about it. And again, I was able to find some giant baseball, I mean, uh, basketball-sized Angry Birds on sale. Like for three bucks each that were normally 20. And I bought a huge two shopping carts full of these things. And I got the regular Angry Birds, I got the Space Birds, and got the Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers and the Princess Leia Birds. And then I asked the camp if they would help me uh, build some giant slingshots. And there's pictures of that on my Facebook page. Um, you can friend me at facebook.com slash carl.bastion. And, and then you can scroll down just a little ways and you'll see pictures of these giant Angry Bird um, cardboard box uh fortresses with pigs on them that the kids shot at, changed it up every chapel, but there was always an, an object lesson um, that went along with those. And if you're dying to know what some of these object lessons were with the Angry Birds, maybe I'll do a blog post soon. I don't want to take any more time on the podcast to give you um, examples of that, although I'd be happy in the forum discussion. If you ask me there, I'll answer it there. But thematic games with a point. But then uh, Steve mentioned improving his storytelling, and, and that's that's important. I think storytelling is um, is incredible at camp. But I would add to that great personal stories. All right, stories that that no other camp speaker could tell. I mean, I have counselors now who had me as campers. That's how long I've been speaking at the camp that that I go to every year. And uh, and they remember personal stories. They remember my bear attacking Yosemite when I was a kid. They remember me catching my bed on fire when when I was a kid. You know, they remember these these specific stories that I like to tell. They they remember the engagement story um, that that I tell talks about the power of in in Jesus' name and what that means. They, I have these regular stories. I don't tell them every year. I kind of rotate them, but between. About every three years, I work my way through my great camp stories, and uh, but they're they're illustrations from my life that are funny and that illustrate something. And a lot of times, you know, I'm the butt end of the joke in the stories because there's something dumb that I did or a lesson I learned or a way my parents helped me incorporate scripture. They remember the Jelly Bean Boy. I think I told that story on the podcast. So um, those great personal stories. But one of the most important things about being a great camp speaker or any kind of great speaker, is being relational off the stage. Of course, it's not going to surprise you to hear me use the word relational. That's the passion behind kidology. But the time you spend at meals with kids, the time you spend just playing carpet ball. Uh, this year at camp, they, they had installed these gaga ball pits, which is an incredibly fun, addictive game. And I spent hours in the gaga pit um, slapping a, a ball around and, and trying to, to win that game. Um and it earns you credibility when you when it's time to teach because you've been hanging out with the kids and, and swimming with them and, and uh, going around the camp, visiting them, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So being relational off the stage. And then have something that's really uniquely you, something crazy that you do. Um, this year at camp, I, I collect hats. If you've seen the hat video in the Kidology Online Training, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I own a bazillion crazy hats. So every meal for the entire week, and then anytime I was walking around camp, I had on a different goofy hat. And uh, it got to where they just couldn't wait to see what hat I would have 
on next. Another thing that I do, um, and I don't know if I should recommend this. This is just something I do, and the camp approves of it. Um, <laughs> but I, I am known for my slingshot and my Jolly Ranchers. And uh, before chapels and um, out on the grass around mealtime, uh, I'm shooting Jolly Ranchers with a really powerful wrist rocket. And I've gotten pretty good. Now, this could be dangerous in the wrong hands, but I can hit a specific kid with a Jolly Rancher from 100 yards away, and, and the counselors get pretty impressed at my accuracy when they can hold out a hat and I can put a Jolly Rancher in it. Um, but obviously, you know, I'm shooting them up. I'm not, you know, beaning the kid uh, <laughs> with the Jolly Ranchers. But they love... Just that I go around shooting Jolly Ranchers with a jelly bean. So I have a fanny pack full of Jolly Ranchers the entire week. I, I buy like three or four big bags of Jolly Ranchers. And um, I only have to shoot out, you know, 10 to 20 of them per time. And, um, and they just go nuts over that. Um, so you can steal that idea or just come up with something that you do that the kids are going to talk about. Oh, he's that camp speaker with the slingshot and the Jolly Ranchers. And I'll have kids say, because, you know, I only speak at, at the Timberlee uh, one week out of the summer, and they have other great camp speakers that come. And so kids that come each year, they'll ask me, are you the Jolly Rancher guy? <laughs> and um, because they, they remember that. It's it's what sets me apart from the other camp speakers, and I know they've got unique things that set them apart from me. Well, let me dive into another question here. Rhonda asked, how do you provide an inclusive atmosphere for kids with special needs? Now, obviously, we could do a whole podcast on special needs, but the, the, the quick answer to how do you provide an inclusive atmosphere for kids with special needs is to include them. That's how you create an inclusive environment. Now, how do you include kids with special needs when it can be difficult for them? It can be difficult for the kids around them, depending on what the, what the special needs are. And we developed a, a program in my church that we called Friends. And it basically amounted to recruiting people who would provide one-on-one -on -one care for kids with special needs. We also met with the parents of these kids to really hear their perspective on what their needs are, what their kids' needs were, what works, what doesn't work, how long attention span should we um, realistically anticipate, and then training these friends um, to sit with them and not feel like they were being policed but loved and, uh, and what appropriate things they could do um, if they were having a hard time and where they could go if they just need to go for a walk in the hallway and, and, and stay within our safety guidelines. Um, but including them in, in as many ways as you can and not isolating them is the way to create that inclusive atmosphere. And it really takes the effort of recruiting people uh, who can become those one-on-one -on -one friends um, to those kids with special needs so that um, they can get the special attention uh, that they often that they often need. Well, let me see here. We got another one here. Glenn, good buddy Glenn. He asked, he wanted my proprietary secrets, uh, he said in the form. No, actually he said I didn't have to give away any proprietary secrets, but he wanted to know how do I create Kidman content? Now, Glenn, I don't know if you're referring to curriculum or articles or, um, or, or in the ministry each week, um, but it probably is irrelevant as far as answering the question. First of all, I'll say, if you listen to Podcast 51, the title was, What Do I Teach Next? And I, I got into this in depth, and it's also a part of the Kids Church Cookbook Part 7, which gets into it's really explaining what a scope and sequence is. But you, you got to start at that high level where you really are thinking about what 
am I trying to accomplish in the lives of my kids? What what are the important things that they need? And you've got to start at that high level. Too many people run their ministries like a pinball machine, bouncing from thing to thing to thing, and they don't have a grand plan. They don't have a an overall strategy of what they're trying to accomplish in the limited years they have with these kids and the limited hours or hour each week that they have with these kids. So you start that high level, you define all that in that seventh leadership lab uh, part of the cookbook. I actually provide the tools where I scope out what I'm going to teach for the next three years. And and you have to be flexible because that constantly could be changing. Um, but when you map out what you're going to be teaching and what you want to be accomplishing with your kids in the years ahead, even when you change it, you have to cut something out to put something new in, a new curriculum you found. At least you know what you're cutting out as opposed to uh, always having this blank uh, that's about six weeks out. You have no idea what you're going to be doing six to eight weeks from now or, or next quarter. And um, But then it breaks down into weekly lessons or whether it's articles or whatever kind of content you're creating. And you always have to have this the big idea. All right, It's, it's guided by um, the single thing that you're going to accomplish during that week or that curriculum or that article, or that, I'd say podcast, but I'm, I'm hitting several main ideas in this podcast. So it starts at that high level, then you break down that strategy, then you break it down even more to each week, and then I'm going to go... I'm going to go back to the 1950s Moody Bible Institute film strips. I've got them. Someday I plan to uh, use them uh, on Kidology in a humorous way. But go back to the to the hook, book, look, and took. And if you've read the Kidology handbook, you know I've I've added the word cook. And and then it just breaks down from there. Once you've got that big idea, that that concept that you want to impart to the children, first you need a hook. You need something fun. Something that's going to engage kids, something that's going to raise curiosity. It's a question that needs to be answered, um, and that's the hook. It, it gets them in, and then you got to turn to the book. You got to talk about where in the Bible um, it talks about this. All right, if you're starting with a Bible text because you're working through the Bible, then um, you start with that book and you come up with your hook out of there. And then the look, the look is diving in past just reading it from the book and getting into let's look at what this means. Let's look at. Um, you know, defining the words. Let's looking. Let's look at the historical context. Let's you know. Let's basically dive into this. And then the took is the practical application. You know, head knowledge doesn't mean anything if you don't if you don't give kids something concrete that they can do um, as a result of that lesson. And then I added cook because I think we need to give kids a chance to do something um, with the big idea. They need to wrestle with it. They need to play with it. They need to you know. You learn more by teaching than you do by uh, just listening to a teacher. And so the cook is more of a hands-on laboratory thing. It, it's kind of taking the took, the application, a little step further and give, and, and challenge them to actually uh, create something um, as a result of, uh, of what you've taught. But uh, that that's kind of it in a nutshell. But I would definitely recommend you look into the Kids Church Cookbook. Um, it, it gives away all my proprietary secrets. I mean, it is there where I get creative ideas. I broke down the creative process, um, but what actually is going on in my brain when I'm coming up with creative ideas, what I do when I'm stumped and I have a blank piece of paper and I, and I need creative ideas uh, for writing curriculum, uh, where I, all my secret sources for where I get um, inspiring props and, uh, and ideas and uh, the mental things that I do um, going through the alphabet, doing rhyming words, things like that. It's all 
in there in the Kids Church cookbook. I've given it all away. Well, let me see here. We got another one here. You know, I got one from a senior pastor, and he asked that I not mention his name. Okay, Bob? Oops. No, his name's not Bob. But uh, I was I thought it was pretty cool that a senior pastor uh, 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 contacted me, and he did it uh, through Facebook messaging so that it wouldn't be public. And, and the reason he did it privately is he, he, he kind of felt uh, not bad about his question, but he didn't want to, you know, get in trouble or uh, with any of the volunteers in his ministry, but his concern is is a valid one, and I'm I'm glad that he's concerned about it. And his concern is with uh, church attendance of volunteers, and um, I'm glad he's feeling that need because I know a lot of children's ministry workers struggle with this as well. They're they're serving and they're um, they're doing so much in the kids ministry that they're never getting um, to big churches as us kidmans like to call it. We like to call it big church. Um, I don't know that we'd like to call what we do little church, but but that's what we call it. And um, so he's asking, you know, should 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 he really be following the attendance of the volunteers? Uh, should should he be tracking that? You know, how hard should he try and enforce? And he, he shares a story about one of his volunteers um, who uh, occasionally he'll try to uh, make arrangements so that they don't have to serve. Um, but then they don't even come to church. They'll use that just to stay at home or, or do things with the family. And, of course, family things are, are great, um, but doing them on Sunday in lieu of church because they don't have any children's ministry responsibilities that Sunday uh, kind of strikes this pastor as not exactly why he worked hard to get them a Sunday off. It wasn't to get them a Sunday off at church. It was so that they could come to church. And he talks about so that they can be in line with what the rest of the body is learning and and the vision and the direction of the church. And this is definitely a a struggle, not only for senior pastors, but for volunteers. And I would say uh, to this pastor, um, first of all, um, I don't think you're out of line as a shepherd to just in a non-legalistic um, judging way just to confront a volunteer and, or just to start with an with a question I always start with questions you know hey I'm just curious how often you get to come to church um, and, and if they don't come often just ask them why or ask them when the last time that they've been there and um, ask if it's a struggle for them um, and um, it, it do it out as you know a, a approach of uh, being concerned for them and uh, wondering that because, um, you know, hey, I'm the pastor and uh, I think you should be coming to hear my great sermons. And uh, people can, can will respond to that. But I also think there's a place for having clear expectations um, in the job requirements of volunteers. Um, I'm amazed at how many churches don't even have job descriptions or requirements for their volunteers and you've got to start there there's got to be a level of expectation of of uh, what you require and you can require church attendance now again we don't want to be legalistic our salvation is not based on the do's and don'ts and the things that we do and don't do and and i'm not one that says you, you can't miss church for a family thing or a special event or something like that but but there's an underlying principle of being a part of the body and not forsaking um being together and i think calling our volunteers to that um, is important. But at the same time, sometimes we have to help facilitate that because it is hard often for volunteers to get to big church. So, you know, can we provide them CDs or MP3s of the message four times uh, that they're serving so that they, they can hear uh, what they missed out on? Do, do we have um, special Sundays, whether it's fifth Sundays um, or, you know, the first Sunday of the month is a family week 
or bringing in professional entertainers, a magician or something once in a while, so that all the volunteers can have the Sunday off, or having all the elders and deacons substitute, give all the Sunday school teachers uh, a Sunday off um, for an appreciation. You know, there's there's got to be a teamwork. So I think the pastor needs to work with the children's ministry leadership in coming up with a strategy that um, that feels like a shepherding strategy to make sure that they stay fed and encouraged. Because if you don't do that, Otherwise, you can have volunteers who, um, when they finally do quit, because they feel bad to quit for a long time, they never serve again. I mean, how many times uh, have we tried to recruit and, and people have shared, well, I used to serve in the children's ministry, um, and it's kind of like they did their time. Um, but they know they never got to go to church, and they missed out on a lot of adult fellowship, and they really don't want to go back to there. Um, so we do ourselves a disservice by not making sure that we're meeting the the, the, the whole need of the person and not just using what need they meet for us, you know, serving in the kids' ministry. So um, so the pastor, I'd say address it um, as a shepherd, uh, get some guidelines and expectations in place, and uh, and just, uh, just take it from there. But as a special treat for those of you who do feel like you're kind of stuck in the nursery, I've got a little treat here for you from our friends at Creative Ministry Resources. Well, I don't know why I signed up tonight I got a feeling that something ain't right It's been hours since I sat in a chair And I think that I might pull out my hair Babies to the left of me, diapers to the right Here I am stuck in the nursery with you Yes, I'm stuck in the nursery with you And I'm wondering what it is I should do I got baby food here on my face And there's diaper rash all over the place Babies to the left of me, diapers to the right Here I am stuck in the nursery with you Well it's getting pretty noisy and it doesn't smell like ministry When I saw it was my Sunday, I got down on my knees and through a couple of these questions and uh, hopefully this has been helpful if you like this approach and like some quick q a's then uh, respond in the forum give me your questions what you'd like me to address and i will do this again in the near future i'll keep collecting some questions i hope you're having a great summer um i hope that you'll uh, visit us on kidology summers are tough for us people are off doing camps and vacation bible schools and everything else so make sure your membership is up and it's renewed so you're not missing out on all the incredible benefits of a kidology membership it's time to start stocking up on your fall curriculums and the resources that you need for this fall we love when you support our ministry by doing your kidney shopping on Kidology. We're a nonprofit ministry. We appreciate your support as we work hard to find the deals and create deals and get discounts for you. Thank you for your support um, by shopping on Kidology. We're going to keep um, 
being an advocate for you to equip and encourage you in your children's ministry. And just thank you so much for uh, how you make that possible through your membership and through your shopping in the store and using the resources and things that we make available. And never hesitate to let us know if there's something we could be doing, something we could be creating, or something uh, we could do better um, to equip and encourage you in your children's ministry. Well, this wraps up the Kidologist on the spot. Remember, you can help shape the show by communicating in the forum discussion. There's one linked um, at the show notes for this podcast. It is loaded with links and articles on Kidology. And so I uh, would love for you to check that out. Also, you can uh, email me directly at carl at kidmentalk.com. If you're on Twitter and you like to tweet, it's simply at kidmentalk. My personal one is at kidologist, but I answer both of them. And I look forward to sitting down with you again. Thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks for providing the questions and ideas for what you would like me to talk about here on Kidmen Talk.